0: That's all right. No, I can hear myself. That's fine. That's fine. Okay. Welcome, everybody, to the Four Outdoorsmen. Super Stru is back in town. Steve strasinski Mark Lukey's with me. My buddy, Mark Lukey. And Garrett is behind the glass taking over for Brandon. Brandon's going to have a cocktail, I suppose, right about now to take a break and uh, check on things. <laughs> I wish. Yeah, you're going to get some of that pizza with, with sauerkraut and, and pineapple on it.
1: Now I'm eating a pheasant meat stick. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I'm enjoying right now. Well,
0: since, since Brandon talked about that... This is the Four Outdoorsman. everybody, thanks for listening and uh, listen to us every Sunday at six o'clock or go as podcast on Tuesdays. go to uh, go to fouroutdoorsman.com and you'll find us there as well for the rest of the, the rest of your life. Anyway, so he's talking about a pheasant meat stick that I gave him because uh, one of the things I did cool this week, my son Mike and I, with our buddy Craig Munson. Went uh, hunting, uh, pheasant hunting at Sandpine up in, A- uh, where is that? Is that Avon, Minnesota? It is Avon, Minnesota. Yep. Yeah. Keith Sandpine. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't there. I talked to him, but he wasn't there. Yeah. His last we name We should was not... say that story. Yeah. It's it's funny. But anyway, so anyway, we'll, we'll tell that story. He called him Keith Sandpine. I don't know what the Keith's last name is. Do you know what his last name is? Uh, I should. I should. I, I've met him a bunch of times. Yeah, anyway, so it. anyway, the name of the the game farm is Sandpines. Right. Sandpines Game Farm. So this game is farm. with Boomer back in the yeah, day. Yeah, and, and my buddy Boomer had a lot of connections back then, and he got Keith to um, to sponsor us. And and Boomer had a chance to meet him many, many times, and he made it feel like he was one of his best, best buddies. So he's on, we get him live on the show one of these days. Hey, wait, welcome everybody, Keith Sandpine. <laughs> the guy says... That's not my name. <laughs> it was. I don't know what his last name was, but it wasn't Sandpaw. I'll find it out. So good old, good old Boomer. I miss Boomer. But anyway, so we had a chance. Uh, Craig Munson. Uh, doesn't hunt much anymore because of his, uh, oh, some issues, you know. But he walks through the woods and he does this stuff. He still trains dogs at Wild Wings and Hugo up there. And he brought one of his dogs Remington with him. And uh, boy, he did all the work for us. And all Mike and I had to do was shoot birds. And it was just a great day. And I haven't done that in a long, long time. Probably the last time I did it was. Down in Adams, Minnesota with the Sathery family, of which you were part of. Yeah, that was a blast. That was a lot of blast. And so I'm not very good at it, but I got a couple of birds. And uh, I got some beasts or some pheasant sticks, and I shared them with Brandon and you. And you
2: said that you were hunting with a full choke, which people use for turkeys generally.
0: So you were able to hit them with a full choke? Two of them. That's, that's skill, brother. As my, Well, that's what some that's my son said, you know. And uh, uh, I didn't shoot the I, the first birds that jumped up. Went from me, straight away from me. Yeah. And Mike shot at one, and it just seemed like they were a little bit too far for me. But now they're trying to explain to me, and I should know all of this stuff, because I'm a radio superstar does an outdoor radio show. But I don't. I'm full choke which means you have a real tight pattern. Yep. It's the and, tightest pattern you can have. Yeah. And they said, no, you should have shot, because that pattern is going to go a long ways, as compared to a modified, which mm-hmm. Mike had on his, I'm not sure what kind of gun he's got. He had a 12-gauge as well, well a different lot. Benelli, lock. I believe. Might have been. It. Might have been. A nice one. Yeah. But, uh, so I should have taken a shot, but I got a couple of them with that and I'm pretty proud of myself. I shot maybe five times, got two. So it was kind of fun. Hey, that's pretty good. Yeah. Good for you, man. And, uh, but uh, the dog, the dog did a good job. Nine years old, Remington was, and it was just fun watching the dogs work, boys. It's, it's pretty cool stuff.
2: I got a chance to go to the Horse and Hunt Club for work. A bunch of fellows from Shell's Brewery, Grain Belt. We we're in entertaining them, so I shot some clays and uh, I got the itch to go pheasant hunting. we got we gotta do that sometime again. Can we go back down to Adams, Minnesota? Absolutely hunt I with I, the Sathrys? I
0: talked to not only, um, Kevin and I uh, contact or connect with each other regularly probably every couple of weeks to be honest with you because this kid's a baseball player and I'm a baseball guy you know yep. and uh, so I just send him a picture of myself and my son Mike and the three birds that we shot in front of us. And I says, "Yes, Kevin, I got two of those birds because I heard them cackle." Remember that <laughs> yeah. story? I didn't. I didn't know that. The old. I I didn't shoot at a, a rooster when we were down there a couple of years back because it was in the, the sun was in my eyes and, and it took off and I couldn't see what kind of bird it was. So I thought I'll just, I'll just let it go. And they said, "Why didn't you shoot?" I I thought it was a hen, a fan. Oh no, a hen rather. <laughs> Well, <laughs> yeah, hens don't hens don't cackle. They said I didn't know that. Now I know, but uh, but no, it was fun. So I'd love to go. I'd love to go out down there with them again. They're such a nice family, the Sathery family down in uh, Adams, Minnesota. Yeah, we started shooting for the Flush TV show on
2: Outdoors Channel. Uh, Travis Frank just took a trip to North Dakota. So yeah, pheasant season or upland season is in full swing now are you gonna get
0: a chance to go with those guys once or twice or what
2: i don't go when they film uh sometimes i go on client trips though uh usually we go to south dakota pheasant farm and just kind of entertain clients so if i get the invite i go that's for sure
0: now since this is an outdoor radio show let's talk about what happened to you outdoors today little flag ball give us a flag ball update yeah it was a it was a
2: busy day we had uh nick had tryouts for uh squirts this morning and then we and then uh Max had a flag football game and Nick had a flag football game. And then I came right here, so it's it's been Sundays are busy for me, boy. Did you get rain where you were? Little sprinkles, yeah, not much. You, you were in Blaine, right? Uh, yeah, in Blaine area, uh, uh near Centennial. When I left Alaska. my
0: house at uh, about four thirty, quarter to five, I spent some time with a good friend of mine, Marlis Benson, at the senior center, mm-hmm. uh, in White Bear Lake, and I was listening to the Twins game. They had a rain delay. They had a tarp, and it was raining at in Blooming or Minneapolis at about four thirty this afternoon. Really? Yep. Cover the fields.
2: Yeah, it was just sprinkling a little bit. There was no like serious rain where I was.
0: Yeah. So I'm excited about the Twins winning the Central Division. That's kind of cool. Yeah, they locked
2: it up. Uh, it's been a few years. They just have to win one game to break the streak.
0: Isn't the longest streak? has <laughs> well, got in, in the majors. 18 years, uh, 18 games in a row without winning a, a divisional series that playoff game. Is crazy. It is crazy. You got to get lucky once in a while. Yeah. Or or the other team's got to play badly or something. So you got to be gotta able to win one game
2: out of a series once in a while. Yeah.
0: And. Uh, I'm hoping they do. Like I was telling you, that I got a, my wife and I have a lot of stuff happening here the next couple of weeks, going to Florida end of this week and going to Albuquerque, New Mexico on the 8th of October through the 14th for the Hot Air Balloon Festival. So I won't be back until the 15th. So I'm hoping they win the first two playoff series so I can go to the American work. I work part-time for the Minnesota Twins, and I want to be able to go sit and, and be part of that experience to watch them fight for the American League pennant. But... Now is it
2: true that the first series is all at home? No, I don't. Th- okay, that's never true. I, I thought it was. I thought it was like a five game series at home only, or something? no? This a is the three game
0: series. It's a three game series. It's, it's going to be a two and one. We'll, we'll play the first. I don't. I'm sure we're not going to get all three. I don't think. I'm, frankly, I don't know why. I've I, never I seen I it think like it that.
2: it is because I think my brother in law bought tickets for cool. the series. Cool. Well, maybe,
0: maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I only work for them. I don't know much about it, but uh, <laughs> uh, that'd be cool. Yeah, you know, it, it's good for the twins. And so, the, how is
2: there? I'm assuming a lot of people want to work playoff games. Oh so sure. Is it like seniority kind of thing? How does yeah. that work?
0: It's seniority and how many games you worked this year. Now I I worked maybe 32 or 33 games as a guest Which services is a lot. employee. That's a lot. That's I'm over 30. With I know 80 that. 80 home games. That's oh that's nothing. There are, I bet I know I can think of at least 20 people that I see on a regular basis that work 70 games a year. Wow. And that's not unusual for a lot of people to work. There are a lot of them retired. They don't have a whole mm-hmm. lot of other interests, and, and good for them. If it makes them feel good, and and they can wobble up and down them steps, yeah, good for them. But 30 is a good number for me. So, but I've got a lot of seniority, uh, so I, I should be able to work every game that I want. I think, I think. But if not, we're going to have so many people that they will bump some of us. You know, so if it, it is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah, Hopefully I hope I they
2: work. do it. Yeah. The Gophers lost a terrible game yesterday. Oh my lord! Vikings lost today another terrible my sons lost their games it's just loserville usa right now but the good news is (laughs) you here's a shout out your wife april got a job she did yeah she was she's been home with the kids for two years and she just got a job uh a full-time job so i'm looking forward to that much better insurance than i have now that's for sure oh boy
0: that's important isn't it yeah for sure it's
2: it's amazing how much that kind of stuff costs nowadays so uh yeah she's excited i'm excited so we'll see and are, she's, are you willing to watch my children all summer
0: uh not all summer but I, I'll, I'll spend time with them <laughs> camp's true I'll bring them I'll, I'll bring drop them him.
2: off in attackck in uh, June 1st and yeah. pick them up in maybe
0: August 25th or so I'll uh, you can put them in the hot tub when you come and pick them up out of the hot tub when they leave <laughs> these Just kids, little raisins. thats it's, yeah that's they'll be all wrinkled up you know yeah uh anytime you know we would me feel thrilled to take care of your kids every once in a while
2: no, we'll uh, we'll make do. We'll find a high schooler that wants to watch them over the summer. Uh, she's going to be at home, uh, remotely working. So we'll make it work.
0: Hey, I want to give a shout out to one of my buddies, Jerry James. He's a good friend of mine that I met through Babe Winkleman. So that's a name dropper kind of thing, you know. And, and uh, I was at a, an auction, uh, a fundraiser that Babe put on for. I I forget what the malady was, cystic fibrosis or whatever Babe was was fighting for to raise money and and Jerry James was there and we became good friends and he just gave me a call he says boy come on up man he says uh let's go fishing let's go fishing people all around this state of Minnesota catching big walleyes let's go let's let's do a little cast and blast let's fish in the morning let's shoot grouse in the afternoon I'm thinking I'd love to I'm looking at my October schedule (laughs) and I don't have like a four or five day window but Jerry James my friend I'm going to get up to wherever you are and I'm going to I would love that I'm like I I have never shot, I've never caught a walleye over 25 inches, and I've never shot a grouse that was flying. <laughs> well, you can do that. You can do both of them in one day. I hope
2: so, yeah. That No, he's a good friend to have, man. He, uh, You always catch big fish with him. He yeah. knows where to go.
0: I call him the fisherman. It's not fishermen. what you know, it's who you know. Yeah, and he's not afraid to work for it either, which is yeah, fun. And you aren't either, to yeah. be honest with you. Yeah.
2: You'll work for it. And
0: I uh, got to tell you, Jerry, my left knee that I had replaced in October is about 90%. Uh, I'm thrilled about that left knee. So, uh, you want to go backwoods or something? I'm ready. I'll bust my butt just for you. Bring your a chainsaw. Didn't you have to do that last time? Oh yeah, yeah. He scratched up his new four wheeler. <laughs> what do you call them? Side by side, and I loved it because we go back to this one lake about maybe a half a mile through the woods, and it was a lot of work to get back there. He got, I got boats, and all the he dragged boats over the winter apparently to a couple of lakes back where he, wherever he lives. And we get back there, and I see this boat, and he's got a, a ratchet strap holding the stern of the boat on. It was all it was all duct taped, ratchet strap, and caulking holding the stern of this boat on. It's my kind of boat. Yeah, he's a, he's a trip man. He's a trip. You got
2: something there? Oh, I got a couple shout outs. You want to do that now yeah, or sure. later? Yeah. Um, big thanks to everyone that wrote our shout out this week. If you want to be on the radio, all you have to do is comment on our shout out post every week. We usually get a couple that we love checking in with every week, including Twin Cities Wally's Unlimited. They said I had a great week Friday, attended the Minnesota Fishing Museum 2023 class inductees. We had those that lady on a couple weeks ago. Congratulations to them. Very well deserved. Looking forward to a meeting October 5th with Steve Panaz. <clears throat> Our friend Jesse Koscanimi, you have to check this out. He says, another one of my clients got a bear. They're really starting to hammer the baits again. He sent a video of the bear coming up to the pile and shooting it. It's a great video. So go to the Four Outdoorsmen shout-out page. Look in the comments under Jesse's post, and you can see what it looks like to harvest a black bear. That's, he killed it. How did,
0: what happened, how, did, how did we get rid of the word kill? There's always no harvest. Harvest.
2: It, it sounds more ethical. I
0: guess it way. does. I guess it is. You harvest things. You don't shoot them. You harvest P, them. PETA lobbied for that word,
2: I think. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Brian Amberg writes, Mason and Hattrick showing off their opening day limit before we got rained out of camp. So yeah, congrats to all the duck hunters out there. Hopefully you had a fruitful weekend. Um I you sent me an article and, and I read it as well that this is the first year that mallards aren't the number one duck harvested in Minnesota.
0: Um I'm not sure if it's the first year but it's it's changed drastically it's been, over the, the years. since the 60s. Yeah, it's been it's changed drastically. Well, what am I going to
2: do? I have 30 decoys, they're all mallards. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know.
0: You can <laughs> I, put them in the trunk I'm going to get up from Jerry James again. yeah. I
2: finally <laughs> get my decoy numbers up, <laughs> and there's no mallards.
0: I think that's in the in the outdoor news. I think it's a story that we should we should dig into and get whoever that is on as a guest. Maybe it was it in it the s- like Saint Paul Pioneer yep, Saint so. Paul Pioneer Press. Yep, uh, I'll get that article and I'll try to dig into that a little bit. But that's a great story, and they had all the numbers, the percentages of what mm-hmm. I think teal are number one right now. I don't know what's what's as yeah. ringnecks are big, yeah. so th- there's a lot of ducks that you you
2: think duck hunting, you think mallards. Absolutely, and, uh, that's interesting to me that that um, they're not the number one bird harvested in Minnesota anymore. I don't know why. Well, they gave a couple reasons. Um, You know, breeding grounds, obviously. I think the migration has moved west over the years, since the 70s and 80s, where they just avoid coming through Minnesota. I don't know why exactly. must be just different conditions or, um, you know, just habitat. But but seems like most of the duck hunting is in the Dakotas now. And uh, you get local ducks and a few scragglers around here, but not not the mass migration that there once was.
0: Maybe they're not coming through Minnesota as much as they used to because we're not paying as much for welfare as we used to.
2: Probably that could be it. Pro- I think we're paying a lot more for. Welfare. Are we really? <laughs> yeah. No, it has to. You know, it has to do with swamps and everything. I mean, I, I can't see how there isn't enough habitat to support them, but it's certainly changed. I see a lot more geese than we
0: used to, that's for sure.
2: Sandhill uh, Cranes, of course. Yeah, yeah. Sandhill Cranes, it's just things change,
0: man. Yeah, yeah fun. Hey, uh, speaking of shout outs, I'm sure our buddy, uh, um, what's, your, what's the guy's name in the next studio? Mark. That's Mark me. Fisher. Oh. Yeah, he's a Hall of Fame guy. Here, uh, shout out to the six new inductees to the Minnesota Fishing Hall of Fame. And I'm guessing Mr. Mark Fisher knows all of them. Russ Francisco. Uh, Jeff Sundin, boy, Russ Francisco's got a hell of a story. I read all these stories. Jeff Sundin, Hank Ebert, and I forget who else, and the Reed Family Outdoor Outfitters. So I'm sure uh, Mark knows all of these guys, but six new inductees to the Minnesota Fishing Hall of Fame. Congratulations to those guys. That's a pretty big deal.
2: That is a big deal. Have you you been up there? Uh, No, I haven't been to that one, no. Uh, We had had the lady on a couple months ago. Sounds like a great place, and it's not that far away. So go check it out, Minnesota fishing hall of fame
0: i gotta tell you a quick story on um, sunday night um, my wife has been at the cabin in shit tech for almost the entire summer it comes back a mm-hmm. couple of days and so i sneak out there and and uh, pretend like i'm a good husband for a couple of days and come home and do my things so sunday night after our show um i had something to do on t- oh tuesday i was going to the jewel golf club to fit a golf for two days whatever it was tuesday and wednesday and i thought Well, I'm not going to go to the cabin just for Monday. It's it's an hour and a half to get up, hour and 45 minutes to get there, spend some time, and come home the same day and get up Tuesday morning. But I thought, I can do this. I can be a nice husband and sneak up and surprise Diana. So I made myself a smoothie with some toast, had a cup of coffee, and a hop in the car. Battery was dead. In your car? In my car. The Strewmobile? Yeah, the Strewmobile. And uh, after work, I pushed it out of the garage. I got someone to jump me. I took that car to uh, Walmart and Mm -hmm. had a battery put in it and it uh, took about an hour and a half. They were busy. So I, you know, what do you do? You walk around Walmart and go to Panera, get a cup of coffee, all of that, get it back. I, I go to the and Everything's fine. I get up the next morning, get, walk out to my car, and I see the right side of my hood is elevated over the right fender. It was like maybe the hood has not been closed the entire time. I lift up the hood. Everything seemed to be fine. What I found jammed in the side of my car was one of those wire brushes for the Posts of the batteries. It's shaped about two inches in diameter and three inches or four inches long. And it's—they forgot to they take it out. They left their tools. Oh yeah, they left their tools like a surgeon leaving a, you know, a scalpel in someone's body or something. Sell it on Facebook. I'm glad. Uh, no, it was nice and brought it back. But I'm glad. Unfortunately uh, that. Uh, the, the hood didn't open up, and then there's there's all kinds of issues. <laughs> We're going to be right back, right? Got a yeah. break right now? Yeah, we got a break right now, and we have a great story coming it's gonna up. It's going to be fun, man, the entire show. Yeah. Joe Shedd is going to be with us. Joe Shed's going to be with us talking about an Alaskan fishing trip or a hunting trip he did 2009, but a whole lot of other stuff. Be right back on The Four Round man. Checking in with the Four Outdoorsmen. Find them at MyBobCountry.com
1: under the weekend tab.
0: It is no secret how the Four Outdoorsmen feel about Devil's Lake, North Dakota. There's so much to do for the entire family, whether or not you hunt or fish. Steve Carney as well, one of the most successful and respected guides in the Midwest. Well, he's hooked on Devil's Lake. After his most recent guiding trip there, Steve said, quote, Hey, Devil's Lake just might be the best fishery I've ever been on. I've got myself a walleye hangover. I think that's a pretty good thing. Hey, plan your next trip at Devil'sLakeND.com. Hey, we all know Ely is home to some of the best fishing in all of Minnesota, and we brag that Arrowhead Outdoors is also the best bait and tackle shop in the entire area, and it is. For the second year in a row, Arrowhead Outdoors has been voted the very best fishing outfitter in the entire state, according to the readers of the Minneapolis Star and Tribune. That's a big deal. The best, not second, not third, the best. Hey, next time you're an Ely, stop by Arrowhead Outdoors and congratulate Chris and Steve and find out what makes Arrowhead Outdoors truly number one. And thank you.
1: Heating and AC has let the dogs out. For a limited time, buy two, get one free. That's right, buy a furnace and AC and get a free water heater. If your water heater is getting up there in age, there's a good chance it's the same age as your heating and cooling system. Save on monthly utility bills with new, efficient equipment that comes with a free industry-leading warranty and may qualify for additional rebates. For details, call Daziel's Comfort Consultants or go to dazielhvac.com. Power Lodge is the number one source for ATVs in the upper Midwest. With the top three brands, including Polaris, CF Moto, and Can-Am, you're able to test drive them all in a head-to-head comparison to find the perfect ATV for hunting, ice fishing, plowing, and having the best time possible, on four wheels. Power Lodge also offers all the best gear to fully customize your off-road vehicle, including plows, windshields, heated hand grips, gun scabbards, and more. Every 40 seconds a child is reported missing. Find the Children is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping find missing kids. You can be a part of their mission by donating your unwanted car. Call 1-800-775-5622. You'll receive the maximum tax deduction and we provide fast, free pickup. Call 1-800-775-5622. Donate your unwanted or unused car. Call 1-800-775-5622. This advertisement was paid for by Cars R Us and Find the Children.
0: Country bob All right, welcome back to the Four Outdoorsmen Gang, and thanks a lot for joining us. I'm Steve Strasinski. My best buddy here is Mark Luki to my left. Yeah, my best buds. we got a special guest on tonight, and I'll tell you how special this guy is because in our nine years of doing this show, this is our ninth year, only once, I think, have we had someone one guest on the entire show who had a lot of stuff to say. So congratulations, Joe. You're one of the premierest guests we've had on this show. This is Joe Shedd. Thanks for joining us on The Four Outdoorsmen. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Now, Joe, you're, you live in Two Harbors, right? Two Harbors, Minnesota. Is that where you're from originally?
3: Uh, no, I'm actually from Wisconsin originally. I'm a transplant up
0: here. no? Wisconsin's a nice place to be. What, uh, what part of Wisconsin.
3: Uh, Kind of down near Oshkosh, down that area.
0: Um, I've only I've only been to Oshkosh a couple of times. I played in softball tournaments there, and I have been to the big the air show, the air show thing one time. Everyone's been to the air (laughs) show in Oshkosh. I don't think I I bet Joe hasn't been to the air show. Have you, Joe? Have you? Yeah, I've definitely been there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's
2: quite a deal, I man. I saw a B-2 bomber, or the stealth bomber, I mean, there once when I was a little kid. It was absolutely amazing. I couldn't believe it.
0: Is that the one that looks like a bat? Yeah,
2: it does. It was unbelievable. <laughs> they wouldn't let us get near it because I was young and it was new, you know, and like you couldn't, you, you had to stay like 50 feet away, but it was just incredible. That's cool, man. It's cool.
0: All right, Joel, we're going to talk about your background. I'll, you, 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 of course, you with Joe Shed Outdoors, and uh, you're an author. You wrote a book called, I think it was called Buck Tales. am I correct? Yeah. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about that later on as well, because uh, you sent us a couple of stories from that, that book. But tell us about your background. You came from Oshkosh, Wisconsin. How did you end up in two harbors, and how did you end up falling in love with the outdoors as much as you have?
3: Well, I guess, uh, you know, my dad was a big duck hunter, so that was kind of our, our big thing growing up. And we had a cabin on a lake, so... Me and my brothers were always fishing off the dock at the cabin, so that was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, I, I worked uh, well. I went to college at Stevens Point, Wisconsin, which was kind of a natural resources school, and ended up working for a deer hunting magazine. I took a job working for a fishing map company up in uh, up in this area, and uh, kind of just stuck around and, and really liked the area and all it has to offer in the outdoors. So just kind of uh, been here ever since.
0: Boy, good for you. So you, you, most of the YouTube videos that I've seen of yours and, and stories and things that I've read about you involve hunting more so than fishing. Do you fish as well as hunt even today?
3: Yeah, I fish a lot. Yeah.
0: Are you still guiding in that area as well?
3: Yeah, I'm a, I'm a guide out on Lake Superior and, and a trainer captain out there, and it's been really, really good fishing this year. It's been incredible.
0: How long have you been a, 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 um, a captain on Lake Superior?
3: Uh, I got my my captain's license in 2020, right during COVID. So uh, we cut the class a little short, so I probably missed a lot of safety stuff. But uh,
2: <laughs> that <was all> <laughs> that's not easy getting a captain's license. Is that correct? There's quite a process you have to go through.
3: Yeah, you got to have a lot of uh, hours on the water, and then uh, on the the class is pretty intense. I guess it's it's a little easier than it used to be uh, back in the old days, but uh, it's it's still a lot of information that's all at you
0: good for you, good for you. How many, how many, um, charters did you take out in 2023? And are you still taking them out?
3: Yeah. Um, I, I, I couldn't even tell you, um, how many I took out, but yeah, um, I'm definitely sticking them out. Uh, this is kind of the best time of year, the lake trout spawn in the fall. Um, so, uh, this is some of the best fishing of the year in September. So I think I've got like I don't know, three or four charters this week. So, um, and, and the kind of the season wraps up for it's a week in October, so this is kind of a, the uh, sprint to the finish here.
2: Hey, Joe, so a lot of people love fishing lake trout in the fall because they go shallow and you can kind of catch them like you'd catch a northern, you know, with spoons and everything. Do they do that on the big water too? Do they go up shallow? And how do you how do you get a big charter boat up, up where they are?
3: Well, it, it really depends on water temperature. Um, right now we have like unbelievably warm water temperatures um, well, last summer was out, uh, the, the surface temperature was 62 degrees and it was still 62 degrees, 120 feet down. So you got to get below, you got to do 130 feet down to be in the game right now. Wow. And some the water temp is in the 40s, so you just do what you're going to get. Wow.
2: 130 feet down, you got to go to get them? That's crazy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, you, you. How did you get involved in shed hunting? I've never shed hunted. I've always been interested in it. I've seen uh, the shed dogs work at Game Farm. It's very, very interesting, but how did you get involved in shed hunting? Because you're hooked. You are an avid shed hunter.
3: Yeah, uh, well, I guess I kind of walked around a little bit, you know, back in the 90s. Didn't really know what I was doing. Uh, my One of my roommates in college back uh, in like 2001, I ended up finding some sheds and um, we started going out together and just it's it's addicting you know it's like it's it's really frustrating when we don't find anything but man once you once you see that thing laying there it's like treasure hunting and and like I just I was hooked I just wanted more and more and it's kind of blossoming a passion I've kind of been all over you know from I think from Alabama to Alaska pretty much looking for sheds so
2: Joe, I've spent most of my life in the woods in various uh for various reasons I've never seen a shed how I mean it, what do you look for? How how do you find them? Is it or is it just you have to go in remote enough places where they're not picked up?
3: Well, you know, it's just um, it's just kind of really training your eye for uh, um, for what to see. I mean, they, I mean, they do look like sticks or corn stalks, and they do kind of blend in with the forest floor. Uh, but and, you know, a big part of it is just understanding uh, deer habitat. You know, where deer are going to be, like in winter and spring um, when they're shedding, um, and just kind of figuring out where those areas are, and, you know, now it's like I'm so hooked on it. Like, I can't walk in the woods, like, and not look for sheds. Like, during during deer season, I have to teach, teach myself to look three feet off the ground rather than looking at the ground.
0: <laughs> you know, the, I saw one of your videos about you shed hunting, and it was uh, something about um, uh, you and your wife or whoever was in your home, and it was, was that video taken in your home
3: I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. It was a
0: YouTube video of a lady who was probably—I'm uh, not sure if she was your wife or not—but just telling you how crazy oh. you are for bringing all those sheds home. Was that actually your personal property? Yeah, that's
3: actually my house.
0: <laughs> oh my uh, God, yeah. you guys—you gotta—you guys have to look up Joe Shed, and he's got a video. I forget the name of it. Do you recall the name of that video? A YouTube video. Um.
3: Oh. I, I don't know I know what one you are talking about but yeah it's a kind of uh you know uh, yeah it's a I grew spoof up yeah a big, having too many sheds in the house yeah he's he,
0: she he makes a she makes a spoof about all the sheds he has in his house and she's stepping all over them she's hurting her feet and whatnot <laughs> you can't believe and he's laying on the couch like he's king crap you know because look it up I love the beauty, beautiful decor of this house and you know these antlers just look so good he's got hundreds and hundreds of them all over the place. Um, you you've i saw one of your videos as well i forget who you were with shed hunting i think specifically for moose horn moose antlers and in one hour you and your buddy found a half a dozen of them and really nice big paddles all in the same general area within a half a mile is that's got to be rare that's got to be extremely rare
3: yeah that's that's a real rush um we put in a lot of work, a lot of scouting, into to finding these spots that have moose like that. Um, and a lot of these situations, when, when we have our really big days, it's because we got into an area that like nobody's ever been in before. There's, there's an incredible amount of competition for moose shed antlers in Minnesota these days, and uh, we're we're always pushing the envelope, trying to get a little further back, you know, crossing rivers, and trying to get to places that other people won't go.
0: Do you do most of your shed hunting in Minnesota?
3: Um, I do, I, I travel around quite a bit. Um, uh, I, I look for moose antlers in Minnesota. I, I don't really look for deer antlers much in Minnesota the last couple of years. It, um, our winters have been so long up here. Um, yeah. By the time the snow finally melts, like everybody else in the country is done, it seems like. And So I've been going down to Wisconsin and Illinois a little bit the last couple of years just to get out of the
0: snow. <laughs> how uh, How long has it been since you felt the competition kicking kicking up i mean there's a lot more competition than there was maybe 10 years ago why is that and how do you beat the competition
3: yeah um definitely like like i remember like uh you know 10-15 years ago i remember going in the areas and finding like old antlers that were white or green and they have been laying there for years and now you go to these same places and it's just boot tracks it's just gotten really mainstream i mean it's on tv shows and in the media and Facebook and all that. Um, so you're really going to try to outthink the competition. Like in you know public areas, you kind of got to get out there early and often. I don't like to do that. I don't like to bother the deer when the, when the snow is super deep. Um, otherwise, it's just trying to outthink everybody or, or get some private ground or, or something like that. But, yeah, the competition is really fierce these days.
2: Do you feel like using a dog is cheating, or uh, are, you, are you all for people using a dog to shed hunt?
3: Um, it doesn't really matter to me. I mean, whatever they want to do. Um, I, I, don't personally use a dog. I don't have a dog, but, uh, I guess just kind of whatever you want to do. Uh, for me, for me, I, I would like the brush of actually seeing the antler on the ground. I think you might lose that with a dog, but, yeah. um, I think the dogs can help you find a lot more antlers too. So I mean, wh- whatever you want to do.
0: One of the days that, uh, one of the trips that you guys took in three days, you found 32. You kept 32 sheds you caught you found more but you couldn't bring them all back and uh i'm not sure if that was white tail or yeah i think that was that was moose i believe that time and one of the moose uh the sheds you found was actually the the antlers and the skull how rare is that
3: um yeah um i i have not found a lot of antlers uh, skulls with antlers on it when it comes to moose um i found uh i think i found a couple in minnesota and a. Uh, a couple in Alaska but uh, yeah that's uh it's yeah, pretty rare to find them like that
0: what is the difference and you talked about the different colors of of the shed antlers both white-tailed deer and and moose what white and green and dark brown what is the difference in them as far as value to you personally which ones would you take out if you had a preference well
3: I definitely want to get the, the brown fresh ones I mean those are the those are the ones in nice shape I mean um you know, like I think you were mentioning that we like kept like 32 on the one shed. Hunt. We we started to leave some behind now if they're like beat up or white or chewed up or faded. Like you know, it's, at first when I found my first few antlers like that it was it was cool, but now it's like you know you run out of places to put them. They take up a lot of space.
2: Yeah. <laughs> what uh? What are you gonna do with all these? Are you gonna start like a an antler chandelier company or are you gonna build a shed shed <laughs> and just. Just have like some kind of stockpile, like uh, the catacombs of Paris, you know, just <laughs> just piles of them. What are you gonna do with hundreds and hundreds of sheds?
3: I always say that won't be my
2: problem; that'll be somebody else's problem. <laughs> like hoarders, they're gonna walk in your
0: house and yeah, yeah. yeah We'll gonna, see him on TV. Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna yeah.
2: push paths of uh, past horns. That's that, that's awesome.
0: By the way, the video, the YouTube video that I'm talking about is called "How to Care for Your Shed Hunter." And uh, <laughs> now, who was the lady in the video?
3: What was that?
0: Who was the lady in the YouTube video of how to care for your shed hunter?
3: Oh, that was that was my ex girlfriend of me,
0: I know. Funny. She's had a good sense of humor, boy. That's funny, but uh she does, she yeah. does. I
3: think I think that was kind of her idea with the
0: video. So, you yeah, know, she she was
3: great with with that kind of stuff. So we've, we've had a lot of good adventures and she found sheds over the YouTube, so she's been a lot of fun
0: though. You know, to, I to I good. can t- I can I can see how you would get hooked on it. I mean, I've never seen one my, my son found one we he hear he heard two Big bucks fighting in Ely, Minnesota. One day, by the time he got there, they were gone. But one of them had an antler broken off, and he brought back a beautiful one antler. Those six points on one side, beautiful. And I mounted it for him because he's never shot a deer, so he got a half a deer. That's all he got. But uh, and uh, yeah, so once you was find it half price for the money? yeah, it was half price for the money. But yeah, it was funny. But uh, I I can see doing that, uh, and I love. Being in the woods when, when nobody's in the woods, I would think it'd be one of the most peaceful, relaxing things. I I, I can see how you get excited about it.
3: Yeah, it's just a, it's like treasure hunting. It's a, it's like a rush every time you see one. Um, you know, it's this adrenaline rush, and then you know you pick it up and you carry it for like a couple of minutes, and then it kind of wears off, and that's like okay, I need another one. You
0: know. Yeah. <laughs> he's uh, uh, we're talking with Joe Shed out of uh, Two Harbors, Minnesota. Does a lot of things, including shed hunting, and he's a guide on Lake Superior, but he wrote a book, and what um, oh, has he, got a couple of books, but the Shed Hunting books is called Hunting Sheds. Oh, I, oh, I forget what the name of the book is, but you had, do have a book just for shed hunting alone, and uh, now you also have a book called Bucktails. right? It's called Bucktales? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, tell us a little bit about that story, because the story we're going to talk about next is in that book about an Alaska trip you took, a canoe trip by yourself, moose hunting all by yourself, what what kind of stories are in bucktails? Obviously deer stories, but are they short stories, long stories? What are they all about?
3: Yeah, so bucktails, it's a 204-page it's a book that I came out with last uh, fall. Um, it's 36 uh, different deer hunting stories. Um, you know, so a lot of, you know, some of them are just uh, adventure stories, you know, tales of how it happened, but a lot of them are just kind of like, you know, just kind of philosophical, like sitting in the woods kind of. Thinking about deer hunting type of stories, um, a lot of them have appeared previously, like in Deer and Deer Hunting magazine or Outdoor News or other publications. Uh, some of them are new, and then uh, it was going to be strictly deer hunting stories. And I kind of put a an online poll out there because you know everybody's you know a lot of people have heard my moose hunting story, and I'm like, you know, should I should I include this moose hunting story in a book of deer hunting stories? And overwhelmingly, the people. Uh, voted for yes, so I decided to include that in this book as well. So it's the last chapter of bull tails instead of buck tails.
2: Well, uh, one of the big reasons we got you on is because of this uh, five-part series in the Outdoor News about this moose story, which is absolutely incredible. We're coming up on a break here pretty soon. We're going to hear all about this story, and and I read it. uh, Strew sent it to me. I read one or two uh, in the outdoor news but I didn't read the whole sequence and, and thank you for sending that over. I read the whole sequence. What an incredible story. For for those of you that didn't read it or haven't heard it, you gotta stick around after the break to hear the story about a once in a lifetime incredible moose hunt. You did all by yourself in Alaska and, and the story is just incredible. And frankly, I'm glad you're alive and here to, to tell us about it. But um, so we're gonna take a break here. Please stick with us, and when we come back, Joe's going to tell one of the most incredible moose hunting stories you'll ever hear. I, think the, the guy's,
0: I think the guy's a bit nuts, to be honest with you. Probably. He's, he's we'll find out. <laughs>
1: bob fm home of the liberty comfort systems four wheels of fun atv giveaway listen every weekday morning at 750 for your keyword to win a 2023 can am maverick trail side by side get the full details at mybobcountry.com. bob FM. Dezeal heating and ac has let the dogs out ah, ah. for a limited time buy two get one free that's right buy a furnace and ac and get a free water heater if your water heater is getting up there in age, there's a good chance it's the same age as your heating and cooling system. Save on monthly utility bills with new, efficient equipment that comes with a free industry-leading warranty and may qualify for additional rebates. For details, call Daziel's Comfort Consultants or go to dazielhvac.com.
0: Hey, yeah, I'll tell you what, it's almost fall, right? The fall colors are blooming all over the place, and i tell you what, it's the perfect time of the year to head to Ely, Minnesota. September and October still offer great open water fishing. Grouse hunting numbers are up, and Arrowhead Outdoors can help you with either one of them. Everyone knows that Arrowhead Outdoors in Ely on the east end of town is the best and biggest fishing, hunting, and camping store in the entire area. And Chris and Steve, you know as well as I do, they're two of the nicest people you're ever going to meet. Whatever you need for the outdoors, Arrowhead Outdoors in Ely, Minnesota has it. You stop in and tell Chris and Steve that Strew Man sent you. I appreciate it. Arrowhead Outdoors. Now we're going to go to uh, Devil's Lake, North Dakota. I'll tell you what, again, I did this last week as well. We have to congratulate Minnesota's John Hoyer. He captured the second consecutive National Walleye Tour title. And this year it was on Devil's Lake in Devil's Lake, North Dakota. Why Devil's Lake? Why would they have a big fishing tournament there? Because it's obvious. Devil's Lake is home to a lot of walleyes and a lot of big walleyes. And Devil's Lake offers plenty of options when you get off the water as well. Bring your shotgun for an afternoon of cast and blast. Then spend your evening at one of the many, many fine dining restaurants in town. Devil's Lake, North Dakota. I'll tell you what, if it's good enough for the pros, it's good enough for you.
1: Power Lodge is the number one source for ATVs in the upper Midwest. With the top three brands, including Polaris, CF Moto, and Can-Am, you're able to test drive them all in a head-to-head comparison to find the perfect ATV for hunting, ice fishing, plowing, and having the best time possible on four wheels. Power Lodge also offers all the best gear to fully customize your off-road vehicle, including plows, windshields, heated hand grips, gun
0: scabbards, and more. Country Bob all right, let's get right to it. We've got Joe Shed on the line. Joe Shed lives in Two Harbors, Minnesota. He's a guide at Lake Superior. He does all kinds of things. We talked a little bit about shed hunting, but right now we're going to talk about a moose hunting trip he took in Alaska in 2009. Joe, do you ever get tired of sharing this story?
3: No, it's, it's, uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun to, to do and talk about. Well, it's, it was not as much fun to do. It's more fun to talk about in the
0: past tense. You know, now I was going to ask you that. I'll ask you that now instead of at the end. Obviously, you, you successfully came back. You, were, you made it in one piece. And frankly, I was concerned for your safety, and you were as well during this trip. Knowing how hard that was, would you do that again?
3: You know, while I was doing it, I was I was telling myself that I would never ever want to do this again. But now it's kind of one of those things where, like, yeah, you, you almost I'm almost tempted to go back and just see it again and
0: just see what it was like. You know, it's kind of like giving birth, right? You know, just saying, <laughs> yeah. I'm never doing that again. <laughs> All right, Joe, start the story now. How did you end up in Alaska in the first place?
3: Well, so uh, during the recession in 2008, I got laid off from my job. And uh, so did one of my, you know, one of my
0: co-workers, too, was
3: kind of in the same boat. We were single, and, you know, one time down didn't have, you know, homes or mortgages or anything like that. And A lot of my friends in college had, had internships in Alaska. They were, like, forestries or wildlife biologists. And I, I never got to do that. And uh, I just decided I was going to go up to Alaska, you know, when I was laid off. And, um, I asked my friend Cody if he wanted to come along, and, and uh, we ended up just driving up there. We didn't know if we are going to stay for a couple of weeks or if we are going to try to get jobs for the summer. and so we totally, see, you know, see your pants type of thing. I mean, we packed our gear in case that we did stay, um, which we ended up doing, and we ended up getting jobs uh, doing rafting trips down the Kenai River, which was super cool, and we ended up doing that for three summers. So we, we really had some good adventures up there.
0: Okay, uh, so and then
3: uh,
0: go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead.
3: Oh, and so then uh, I, you know, I brought my rifle along, and uh, the idea was I, I kind of was, Interest in trying to shoot a caribou while I was up there, and uh, the area we were in, down on the Kenai Peninsula, they, they do have caribou season there, but uh, you had to apply for a permit and uh, missed out on that. But you could buy a moose tag over the counter, so I decided I was going go moose hunting instead.
0: I, I respect you, man. I know, and Billy Moles is a, a really good friend of ours. He's an Alaskan guide, lives in Turtle Lake, Wisconsin. I think a moose hunt if you hired if you hired a guide is about twenty five grand, give or take. And uh, looking at if you just got laid off and you're up there bummer or making you know a couple hundred bucks a week, you haven't got twenty five grand in your pocket. I imagine that's one of the influences of you to say, "Let's let's go give this a shot. I can I can do this myself." Is that right? I mean, did you consider hiring a guide?
3: No, I'm a really totally do it yourself kind of guy. I mean, that's that's my style. I, I like to do it do the pants just kind of wing it. Um, I know a lot of people that are really into plotting and planning and stuff, and that's not me. Like one of my best hunting buddies is a big time plotter and planner, and we have completely conflicting uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> hunting styles. But you know, we we each are successful in our own way. So uh, um, you know, the biggest thing for me is like um, so I, I kind of tried to figure out where I was going to go, and then um, Alaska is really strict on their uh, on their antler sizes. Um, so, like, every time i go into, like, a sporting goods store or a restaurant or something, I'd look at a moose rack and try to decide, you know, if that thing was 50 inches or not. <laughs> yeah. The zone I was in, uh, the antlers had to either be a 50-inch spread or they had to have three brouts on it or you could see a spike uh, bull as well. So, I'm just kind of, like, constantly, like, trying to estimate, like, antler, you know, size, and, and that was, you know, a really important part of the, the hunt.
0: Oh. All right, so you you, you kind of were, kind of were late getting prepared for your trip, but you had to sight in your scope late and all that kind of crap. And and by the morning of the nineteenth, when you started out in two thousand nine, uh, 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 that was when you first started your scope, in It's like one day before taking off. <laughs> Sounds that's, like me in deer season. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not Boy Scout wouldn't do that, but uh, this guy this guy did. He's going to wing it. But anyway, so keep go from there. When once you sighted your scope and you finally got your canoe and all your gear, and you headed out. Where did you go, and how did that start?
3: Yeah, well, um, yeah, so I, I picked up on the area, um, it was on the Keynote Peninsula, and it was kind of like a mini Boundary Waters, that's how I describe it, it was the Swanson River Canoe Area, and it yep. was a designated wilderness area um, with Lake Flint by Porges, so it's real similar to the Boundary Waters, so that was kind of familiar to me, so that's where I decided to hunt, and uh, yeah, I tried to sight in my scope like uh, a couple of days before, and, and I. I bumped it really hard the previous deer on my tree stand I, I had my climber stand on my back and swung around and hit my scope and so I ended up having to get a new scope like, you know, the day before the hunt. So but got dialed in and new scope and uh, you know, by the time I bought a scope and my moose license and I had to buy a canoe for this trip and, and a freezer to get it all home, like I was just hammering money. Yeah. But uh it's still a lot cheaper than, like, doing a guided hunt. But. Well, you had
0: to have been frustrated during the first portage of being 900 yards long, the first one. <laughs> how many days did you plan on being in the in the, in the the woods, and uh, how many days did it take you to get out of the woods?
3: Yeah, so there was a logbook, like, at the entry. Like, you don't need a permit like you do for the Boundary Waters, but there was a logbook. that you know, they would kind of, so they knew who was in there and how long you wanted to be in there and when to come out, you know. Um, so I, I plan to go for a week. Um, you know, I had, I think, I, I think I had about a month to moose hunt if I really wanted to, um, but my brother was getting married in Milwaukee um, in like three weeks, so I had to get home for that. And we were driving, so it was like a four-day drive. So, but I, I did have a couple of weeks I, I could hunt if I wanted to, but uh, I was planning to just go for a week in this uh, wilderness area and then and then go from there.
2: Go ahead, Mark. Yeah. So uh, we'll probably have to keep moving on the story because it's it's the ending is so incredible uh but one question i had to ask was so you were camping in there for a day didn't see much um and there's one part of the story i just need explanation you went back to your campsite and you said it in in your writing it looked like someone shot your paddle with a shotgun did you ever figure out what who or what destroyed your paddle
3: <laughs> no um so several days into the trip um yeah i'd i uh i'd my campsite was about 100 yards from the lake, and I went down to the water that morning for a bath. Came back to the campsite, um, and then when I was breaking camp, I went back down to the canoe, and my paddle was in two pieces, and it looked it was like dotted with holes. It looked like somebody shot with a shotgun. And all I can think, I, to this day, I don't really know, but all I can think is a bear must have bitten it in half. And the, the paddle was splintered and broken, and I had to duct tape it together, and then just it worked pretty well. You know, it broke with two big long splinters rather than clean in half, so I was able to tape it together pretty solid. But, yeah, I don't know what really happened Well,
2: (laughs) kudos to you for having duct tape with you. That was an all-star move right there and (laughs) lots of experience there. So, as as the story goes, uh, you finally saw a a nice moose. You take take a shot and you kill it. We really got to get into the battle to get out of here. So, you shoot a giant moose and it's just you in a canoe. Can you explain how much this thing weighs? How do you physically get a moose out of there in a canoe in a canoe with a broken paddle
3: yeah, yeah uh, that's a good question um i don't know honestly i don't know how much this moose weighed um i do know this uh, like i quartered it up and when we got it home uh i weighed one of the hind quarters was 95 pounds <laughs> wow. so yeah. um yeah so i shot this thing it was the i shot the sixth day of my hunt i planned to be out for a week, and. Um, I was five lakes back into the into the wilderness, so I crossed five portages, and the last portage into the lake where I shot it was a mile. Um, so what I did, I, and this isn't likely to plan ahead, but I did do a little planning ahead. That a boy. Um, <laughs> so the, the place I was hunting, it's 29 miles down a gravel road. It's the very, very end of the road, um, and then I was five lakes back, but there's a, a, a creek that flows out of the lake that I, I shot the moose on, and then there's a river connected to that. So I, I stashed a bike at the at the river landing, so I could either um, portage back the way I came, or if I wanted, I could uh, paddle down the river and then get to the bike and then ride the bike back to the truck. So I had I had options, and uh, so uh, I know that the first you know portage coming out of this lake where I shot the moose was was going to be a mile, and I mean so you know it, I was taking two packs in a canoe, plus uh, you know plus now I got a moose, and so I mean I don't know how many trips I would have taken me across that portage, yeah. but, um, it would have been a lot, a lot of work, and then and then you, you're dropping the meat off at the end of the portage trail to go back for more, and, you know, you can't defend yourself against bears. and So I decided to take the, the river route because then you're floating and you don't have to carry everything, and the meat is always with you. I figured that was going to be the better option.
0: Well, it didn't turn out that way. I heard, I read about that. <laughs> the river was, a, you know, maybe four inches deep in most of the places, and dragging this canoe over, over windfalls and rocks and have to take all the stuff out of the canoe and put it back in. And you were running out of food. You didn't have proper filtration in your water. Were you ever really, were you ever, ever sincerely scared that you were not going to make it back?
3: Well, you know, I mean, I could have eaten the moose, but it it kept raining so much. I I had like a little camp stove with some fuel, but I'd use most of that. So it was getting kind of hard to to build a fire because, you know, the woods were wet because it kept raining on me. Um, I mean, so I had all this meat that I could eat, um, and yeah, my filter on my on my water filter device got clogged up, so I you know I kind of got to the point where I had to boil water, so it was getting tricky. Um, I, I guess I didn't think that it, I, I knew I could get out, but I wasn't sure if I could get the moose out with me. Like there was, right. it did cross my mind to just leave the moose behind and dump it and go, but you know that's you know I wasn't going to do that. That was going to be an absolute last resort. Yeah.
0: So. Yeah.
2: You described on your way back through that creek, and it wasn't as deep as you had hoped, obviously, and your canoes weighted down. And it basically sounded like you had to drag the canoe most of the way. How many times on the way back did you have to unpack this 1,000-pound moose and your gear and pack it back up? I mean, how, how many times do you think you had to do that?
3: Well, I mean, like, so when I first left the lake, there was a beaver dam that I had to get the canoe up and over. So I had to unload everything, take to- you know, take the canoe over the top and then reload it. Um, but then what would happen is the, the canoe or the creek would be really shallow, like just a couple inches deep. So I would just drag the whole work. um, you know, the moose and everything in there, you know, just dragging it along. But then I'd get to a dead fall, like a fallen tree across the river, and then I'd have to you know, then in that situation you have to take everything out. Otherwise I could just drag it if it was real shallow. But I remember uh, in the woodsy stretch when I was going through the woods at one point, there were seven dead in a row, <laughs> and that's the point at which I, I I'd caped out the moose and so I was going to do a head mount. At that point, I just cut off the rack and said, forget it, because it was just, I don't know what the head and cape weighed, but it was a lot, and it was, you know, four feet of height, you know, when I couldn't lift it high enough, it was dragging it in the water to get all wet and heavy and... <laughs> Just a nightmare.
0: <laughs> so you, so you eventually had to leave the the head and the cape back, and you and you swallowed your pride and just came back with the antlers, right? Yeah. Is there something in Alaska that says you have to take everything out that you shoot? Do you know? I don't. Yeah. I, go ahead.
3: Yeah, um, it definitely says in the regulations what what you have to take. So uh, and it's different. Like bears, uh, you're not actually required to take the meat on of certain bears at certain times of the year. Um, yeah, but I came I came out with all the meat and the antlers. You don't you don't have to take the you don't have to take the hide. You don't have to take the head. And I did leave the hide behind. It would've been kind of cool to have a moose hide, but it would've been just carry, But I did get all the meat and, and the antlers out. So
0: you were talking about being prepared with putting your bike down there at the end of the at the end of the the road there and taking the river instead of portaging and I believe it, I'm reading here, says it would be a nice, easy 19-mile mile float down the Swanson River to the waiting bicycle. How long did it take you to take those, get all the way down uh, the Swanson River toward where you thought the bike was?
3: Well, that's a good question because at that point I'd been out for over a week and all I had was a cell phone on me, and that was long dead. So I, I, It's just a guess, but the creek was a mile and a quarter, and I think it took me about 14 hours The first day and about six more of the second day to get down the mile and a quarter of the creek. Wow,
0: twenty hours! Wow,
3: which was a lot of dragging. Uh, Then once I got to the river, I could actually float in the river, uh, but the current was pretty negligible. I mean, there was like lily pads; like it wasn't like it was a smoking current that was really whisking me along. So it was a lot of paddling. Um, And at that point, I think I'd been out for like nine days, and I I I could see that you know I had nineteen miles to go, but at least I'm finally floating. And like, I'm like, nope, I'm out of here. I'm done. I'm not spending another night. And so I paddled all through the night. Um, uh, that 19-mile run uh, down the river, I don't know how long it took me, to but it, it, was, it was much easier than going down the creek because at least it floated the whole way.
0: You, know, um, did you Did you have decent weather during those 9 or 10 days that you were in the woods in Alaska?
3: I'm sorry, what was that? Did you have
0: good weather all the entire 9 or 10 days?
3: It, uh, it started out sunny, but then it started raining quite a bit. Um, so everything was just kind of getting damp and soggy and kind of took your spirits down, too.
0: <laughs> After five day five or six or seven, when things were, were not going like you wanted them to and you get the moose, and you were having all these difficulties, what was your biggest concern? What was your biggest fear at that time?
3: I guess just, uh, you know, just, Taking it one step at a time, like it's it's an excruciating amount of work. i um, getting that moose down the river, um, dragging it, you know, foot by foot. Um, it it's like this insurmountable task. But when that situation, like you just you just have to do it. You just do it because you don't have any other choice.
0: Yeah. See that? Um, yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And there's nothing else you can do. It's like you, you don't have any other options. It yeah. it started messing with my mind a little bit because you know I was I was. Working really hard, I wasn't stopping to eat or drink, and and like I I could tell like I was starting to kind of lose it. Like I I, mean, <laughs> I hadn't seen a person in over a week. My mind was getting weird. Like you'd have like sticks scraping against the canoe as you were going along. I started yelling at the sticks, like "What you think you can flip me over? You think you can?" Me? <laughs> I Wilson. I knew I was kind of going off the yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, one of my favorite parts of the story, of course, and well, it shouldn't be my favorite, but. You get back to where your bike should be, and you can't find your bike. So, how long of a walk were you planning on doing? It said you got picked up by some people going up there, and and I love that they comment that you smelled like moose, which I'm sure you did. But uh, just uh, how how did the end part go, and and uh, w- where you finally got to your car?
3: Yeah, so so you know, it was a uh, from the lake where I shot the moose. It was a mile and a quarter down the creek, and then 19 miles down the river. And then it was going to be a 12-mile bike ride back to my truck. And uh, I locked it to a tree in the woods because there were some people down at the landing. I didn't want to just leave it out, you know, because I borrowed the bike, too. And it was dark, and I didn't know. At this point, I don't know what time of day it is, how long it's going to be until daylight. I'm I'm wet. I'm cold. I, I wasn't going to just stand around waiting for daylight. So I decided to just walk. And then, yeah, I was luckily able to hitchhike a ride uh, back home or back to my truck. And at that point, like all this physical exertion, like, dragging the you canoe know, and paddling, like, like, this is the first time in hours that I'm, like, not doing something. And, like, that's when everything started to hurt. Like, my hands were swollen. Like, they were bleeding and stuff. And my shoulders were aching. And, like, and I, I had a – I don't drink energy drinks usually, but I uh, I got one the, and I had it in the truck, and I was thinking about, like, how great it was going to be. And when I went to drink it, like, I, I there was – so little in my food that, like, all the stomach acid was, like, welling up. And, like, I couldn't even swallow. Like, it's just, I couldn't even drink this drink that I've been
0: thinking about. <laughs> I'll tell you what, this is this is crazy. I know the the mind plays tricks on you. We're talking about Joe Shedd. He finally made it back. I want to see... I don't think I've seen a picture of, of the of the moose antlers just yet. Maybe I have. But you said your mind was playing games with you. All you thought about was eating a pizza, hanging out with friends, and here's how goofy this guy was thinking, and petting a cat. He was thinking about <laughs> petting a cat. That's, that's the mind. Joe Shedd, it's a hell of a story, man. And, and uh, we got to get your book. It's called Bucktales. Look up Joe Shed. That's S-H-E-A-D, Joe Shed Outdoors. You can find him anyplace. Check his YouTube channel. Look at him as far as a guide on the Lake Superior. There's tons of stories. Joe Shed, I'm glad you got back safely, man, because uh, that's a big, big trip. That's quite an endeavor. Looking forward to one more trip like that. Hey, Joe, thanks for joining us on the Four Outdoorsmen. This is crazy. Uh, I'm, proud, I'm, I'm proud I'm proud of you, man. I couldn't have done it. <laughs> well,
3: thanks, guys. It was fun talking about it. All
0: right, take care. Look up his book, Bucktails. That's Joe Shedd from Joe Shedd Outdoors. Take care, Joe. I'm, I'm going to talk to you later on, all right, buddy? Take care of yourself. All right, thank Man, you. Man, oh, that's, that's a crazy story, right? Good stuff. Hey, thanks, Joe. Thanks for joining us on the 4 Outdoorsmen, everybody. Stick around for Real Talk Outdoors with the guys who really know what they're talking about. That's a fun story. Someday I'm going to do that. No, I'm not. <laughs> Talk to you guys next week on the 4 Outdoorsmen every Sunday night at 6. In the meantime, my buddy Mark's got something to say. Get outside and make some memories.